0: Uh, open up your Bibles to second Thessalonians chapter three is where we 'll start this morning. I came across a quote this week that says this: Oftentimes the series will end, and i 'll find this great quote that would have fit really well within the series, but this time it happened ahead of time. Jerry Vine said this: "An unread Bible is like food uneaten, a love letter never read, a buried sword, a roadmap unstudied." gold, never mind. And here we are looking at the Bible as food and thinking of it that way. We're certainly not the first or the only. It's actually a biblical metaphor for God's word is, is that it would be like food to our souls. There was a uh, an emperor, a king in Ethiopia that, uh, that applied this evidently. He was actually one of the great rulers in all of Africa. He's credited with uh, basically forming modern Ethiopia. He began to unite and and form these different warring factions into, uh, into a nation. And one of the things that when we were in Ethiopia this last summer, uh, we heard many, many times that Ethiopians are quite proud of is that they're the only African nation that's ever been colonized. And they had the Italians come, and the Ethiopian army crushed the Italians as they tried to come and colonize them. My wife and I in June stood uh, right in front of his palace. This is a very humble palace. Uh, he lived around the turn of the last century, and so while we had Wild West things going on, this is what was happening over in Africa, and here we were standing in front of his house. He built this palace overlooking the capital city. It sits at about 10,000 feet. Um, those may be some of the very lambs and goats that came from the lineage of his royal uh, herd. I'm not sure. Um, but... uh one of the things about about him is uh he married a strong Christian woman and here's the first church. Here's the, it says the first and ancient church of Ethiopia. So uh so again, a humble a humble place, and this little guy jumped into my picture um and then asked for money. It was a cool little trick. I'm like, Wow, that's good. Uh so we gladly gladly paid him some. About 100 yards from this building right here is a, little, uh, is a little museum where you can go and kind of tour about King Menelik and, and see some different things. And um, one of the little uh, eccentricities that they did not let us know about was this. He would essentially, uh, whenever he was feeling ill, he would actually eat a few pages of the Bible. So he'd have them torn out and he would eat them. And he swore that this made him feel better, that this had, this had healing properties. Now, we saw these Bibles, these really cool, I mean, we took special notice, uh, these really cool ancient Bibles that were under a glass case, and you couldn't take pictures, and maybe why it was under a glass case is there were some pages missing, because he would be eating his Bible... Um, and then one day in December of 1913, he was recovering from a stroke and feeling extremely ill, so he had the entire book of Kings torn out of an Egyptian edition of the Bible, and he ate every page of it and died. Now, that wasn't necessarily what killed him, but I don't think it helped. Um, so here's the deal. I never knew someone would take this quite so literally, but I thought I'd better just clarify that as we talk about eating the Bible to live, we're not talking literal, Okay, so leave your Bible alone. Do not eat it, um, but rather absorb it. So, uh, you know, this week you guys had some meals, and some of them were worth talking about, and some of them just weren't. Uh, you haven't sat around discussing them, but think about the last good meal that you've had. Uh, either at a restaurant or a special occasion or something that you or someone else whipped up that just was amazing and you just wanted to talk about it. Isn't it fascinating foods that way, isn't it, where we talk about it? We we go and we, we, we revisit it and talk about the experience of it and the smells of it and the sights and the taste and all of that. I wonder if we can do the same, church, as Christians, as we look back this week on our feasting. So my question to you would be this, how is your feasting going on God's Word? Maybe there are some devotional times, some quiet times where you read. And just to be frank, it was rather uninteresting. It was rather un—you know, life-altering. It was, a, it was a meal that you had. You did it. It sustained you in some way, shape, or form. But you don't sit around and talk about it. But I hope as the weeks and months go by, we're, we're, we're rounding out uh, kind of the, the first month of the year. One twelfth of 2012 is rapidly approaching to be over, which is kind of shocking. I hope that you can look back and see and say, you know what? Uh, there are already some meals that I would just say I've savored. Some times in the Word where, um, man, let me tell you about it. Let me talk to you about what God was doing in my life as I read and absorbed God's Word uh, You know, a couple of weeks ago or this last week. And I want us to begin thinking about that. Now, that would presuppose that we're regular, regularly eating that we don't come once a week or wait until our community group or wait until a special Bible study to enjoy a meal, but rather that we're eating on a regular and ongoing basis. I hope you're finding some of the tools helpful. I know that we're kind of rapidly flying through this. uh, But I want to give you two examples of something that went on just this week in the context of normal everyday life um, as we begin. And what I want to do is I want to share these from my life and give you a an example of how this can look in your life, and B speak representatively for the fact that many of you have had, in the context of just your basic Bible reading, some great things come out of it. So what I what I'm recognizing is I'm not the only one doing this, but I'm getting to talk. So I'm sharing a story from my life and interacting with God's work this week, uh, God's word this week, and that there are many others that are experiencing the same sort of thing. You're in 2 Thessalonians 3, I'll get there in one second, but let me start with Isaiah 5. I read Isaiah 5 last night. Isaiah 5 is coming up in my Bible reading program, I think, tomorrow or, or in a day or two. I'm a little bit ahead. I tend to, with a reading program, I'm ahead sometimes, and then I drift behind a little bit, and, I, and I'm and i somewhere right around. But But a Bible reading program kind of helps keep you there. And in Isaiah 5, this is leading up to a very... Uh, well-known passage in Isaiah 6, where Isaiah has a vision of God. And I just thought, man, what great preparation for the Lord's Day, for me personally, to read Isaiah's vision of the Lord, where he says, and I saw the Lord high and lofty sitting on his throne. And he begins to talk about this angel who had six wings and, uh, and, and, just, and just describes this marvelous vision. And to think, that's who we're, that's who we're singing to this morning. That when we pray, when we bow our heads to pray and talk, that's who we're talking to. The king of kings who's alive and well. These images that we see of outer space and the universe, he's the one that put all of that together. And so what a great passage for that. But leading up to it is Isaiah 5. And what I see in Isaiah 5 is this, especially with this theme of eating and feasting on God's word, that God has been telling and reminding and cluing in his people for a long, long time. To be feasting on his word. Here's what we see in Isaiah 5. I'm not even going to give you the verses. You'll have to figure that out yourself. But here it is in very rough paraphrase. This is not far off of the actual words of Scripture. Here's one of them. He's going through some different woes. If if someone's woeing you, if a prophet comes and says, Woe to you, Rob Collins, it's bad news. Okay? That's, That's not good. You don't want to be woed on. So this guy's woeing. He's woeing the people of Israel. Here's what he says. Essentially, again, not far off from the scriptures, you read it in Isaiah 5. Woe to those who party, are great at drinking games, and are pursuing pleasure, and neglecting to regard the works of the Lord. Woe to you. He goes on and says this. My people go into exile for lack of knowledge all in the context of God's Word. He says this, they have rejected the law of the Lord of hosts and have despised the Word of the Holy One of Israel. Now here's my my heralding to you, my warning to you, but maybe an encouragement to you. Maybe you haven't abandoned God's Word. Maybe you don't despise God's Word. Maybe you haven't left it completely for the bar scene and you're good at mixing strong drinks as well and you seek you know, pleasure in all of that. But maybe, just maybe, it might look something like this culturally. Maybe you've despised, forgotten, and rejected God's word in favor of some form of trivia. Let me give you some flavors of trivia that are out there. Today is a sports game coming up. Now, the fact that my team isn't in it, I get to preach very prophetically and very confidently <laughs> that, that shame on you if the first thought of the day was your Niners or your football team. Um <laughs> kidding. Um. But the reality is, is that if you're a sports buff, if you're a sports nut, um, what happens is, I, I discovered this about the sharks with me in, in Bible college. I'm in Bible college. I'm studying to be a pastor. God has implanted the word in my heart, and I can't, I'm just fired up to give my whole life to him. What I realized in Bible college was I woke up one day and I realized, wow, many times the first thought on my mind that day is that there's a sharks game today, tonight. And it was just really, really convicting to me. And I thought, boy, something is completely out of whack if that's, what's, if that's what I'm waking up and thinking with. So my prayer was, Lord, heal me of that. That's, that's trivial. The sharks may or may not last in this city. I hope they do. But, but, but it's trivial, really. And so, so free me of that. So sports buffs really know a lot of knowledge. They gain a lot of knowledge. They pursue and memorize knowledge. Baseball, baseball freaks are the, are the worst of this. They, because there's so much to know, right? There's farm leagues and, you know, pitchers and all this different stuff, and they just, they just know all this stuff. Now, I'm not, I'm not heaping shame on you if you're a sports guy. I'm a sports guy. I really do get that, and I like that. But there's other varieties of that. Um, some of you are gamers. And, uh, and gamers have a whole, there's a whole subculture of those who memorize and know things. I was out on a bike ride with my sons yesterday, and we're dry, we're, we're riding around, we stop at Five Guys for lunch, uh, nothing like a great healthy bike ride, and then Five Guys Burgers to just you know wash it down with. Um, we're sitting there, and I and we overhear these these couple of college kids talking. And they're chatting, and and currently Zuri's all dad. They're talking about Modern Warfare Three, and so we're kind of listening in, you know. And and sure enough, and and uh, my kids educate me on on these game things because they all you know kill me at these different games. But but there's a whole world and subculture of knowledge that accompanies gamers. Right? And so they're memorizing and pursuing knowledge and they know that. Now some of you go, oh, that's easy. I don't struggle with any of that. Some of you though are, are really into some kind of reality show or reading people's blogs or super engaged in other people's lives. And you, and you kind of live for that. You're really into their lives. And it's kind of weird because in a way you're so engaged with their life. Dave Ramsey has this thing in the, in talking about finances. He says this. Put down being engaged with other people's lives for just a few minutes. And just look at your own life. Look at your own finances. Don't say you don't have enough time to look at your finances. You have a half hour to sit down and just look at where you're spending your money and how you're doing with that. As long as we're so engaged with other people's lives, here's why. It's, a, it's an escape, isn't it? And we're, we're memorizing, you know, um, you know, I'm trying to think of the girl from Jersey Shore, but she's the pinnacle. Snooki, thank you. <laughs> Chris is like, I got it, it's, it's Snooki. And, you know, I mean, if we're so engaged with you know, Snooki's favorite ice cream, I know, we're praying afterward, a little prayer session. <laughs> But but if we're but if we're so engaged with that and, and we know the details of all the celebrities' lives and where they shop and where they frequent, um, and and yet and yet we're remiss to understand or or know some of the basics of the Bible. Again, just look at that. Let's just be honest with ourselves and say you know and say God, just free me from that. I don't really. At the end of the day, I really don't care about those people from New Jersey. They're not going to change my life. There's nothing for me there. Free me from that. So I've just given you three. These are modern flavors, modern varieties, kind of in our culture. Maybe that we, I was thinking of us in mind, maybe that we in this room would struggle with. So we haven't abandoned and rejected and despised God's word in favor of the bar scene, but maybe there's something else that's far more subtle and maybe a lot more dangerous that that if, if we're honest, we say, man, we too, people of God, are in exile for lack of knowledge. For lack of knowledge. The heartbeat behind where we've been uh, just starting off the year here in January is this, is that um, there's, there's people uh, who, who preach and share and teach and study and work at, at feeding and all of that. And we've talked about those in terms of being supplements and being vitamins to inject into your spiritual walk. But I beg with you, I plead with you on behalf of God, please learn to feed yourself. Please learn to be in the word. Please learn to love and live God's word. We just sang a song that says, I take him at his word to just do that. And that's the heartbeat behind what we're doing. Second Thessalonians 3 says this. Um, that's an example, by the way, the Ephes- the, uh, Isaiah 5 is just an example of I had a specific thought in mind because I was going to preach this sermon. So I, I was mulling that over, and certainly that was on my mind. But do you see how that just, I mean, God just gave that to me in the midst of my Bible reading. And, and he does that all the time. Sometimes it's in a, in a formal context like this, but sometimes it's just in my own life or for a friend of mine who's talking to me. And I go, wow, I just read about that. And there's just a faith-building component to that. 2 Thessalonians 3, for men's group this week, um, we were instructed as community groups, those who were following the sermon series, to instead of answering questions and engaging with questions and diving into something, we were instead challenged to say, well, look, why don't you just take the principles of, of Bible study and put them into practice in community this week? So I picked, uh, I just prayed about it. I said, God, what chapter, what, what passage of scripture do you want us as men to go through? And so I thought about some different ones, and we landed on Second Thessalonians 3. So I bring that to the guys, and a part of what we did was we took time there, and we just prayed at the beginning. We said, Lord, you know, Holy Spirit, would you just convict us? Would you show us from this passage what we need to do? And then the, the, the challenge was write out a personal application for what God is, t- uh, is sharing with you from that. What was so cool is that we had an hour and a half together, and in a relatively short period of time, we sat there in dialogue and discussed, and God gave some very specific... I told the guys, I said, look, guys, this isn't time to make up something. You know, like, ah, I guess I'm got to have something or else I won't appear spiritual. If, the God, if God isn't telling you specifically to do something, then just pass. Maybe it needs more time. One of the guys said it this way. He said, you know what? God, it's not clear about what this is. I don't want make it, to make it, you know, fill it in. But, but God's nudging me in this direction and, and to keep mulling on that. Here's what the Lord showed me. As I'm reading this passage, I'm, I'm participating with the guys on this. As we read the chapter out loud... As we then spent time meditating on it, just soaking in it, going back and reading it again, thinking about it, slowing down. And then just sat and said, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do with this? Here's, what, here's what's been a daily prayer since Thursday night. So a few days now is 2 Thessalonians 3. It says this, Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you. And that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And I thought about that. I'm going to share a story at the end about the worldwide picture of that and how God's word is speeding ahead, that the message of the gospel is advancing around the world, that it's being honored and producing a harvest around the world. And we're a part of it here. But I also just thought of it with you here, these faces that I get to look at and have the privilege of walking through life with every single week and midweek, that the message of Christ would guard and establish you against the evil one, that it would speed ahead, that it would readily go forth in this city, that it would be honored and lifted up so that it can have its work. So two examples just from my week and you People are having some of these same experiences. You're just you're just taking God at His word. You're just opening it up, and you're just saying, "I'm going to read. I'm going to grow in studying this year, and really getting to know this book." We're not doing it um, to get brownie points. We're not doing it to make up for sin. We covered that all last week. That's not what Bible study is about. We're doing this as beloved children looking to mimic our our loving Father, and it removes all the duty from it. It removes all the. Have to got a kind of language from it, and just says, "Lord, I just want to be in your presence. I want to hear from you. I want to talk back to you and converse with you." Today, um, we're just going to take time to do something that I'm prayerfully is going to actually affect every other method you could you could basically learn in terms of how to study the Bible. And there's there's really so many different ways. It's a it's a deep well that we're that we're talking about. Um. And it has to do with uh, interpretation. How do you interpret God's word? Now, I was in China a few years ago, and maybe to some of you, um, studying the Bible, opening the Bible, looking at the Bible is a little bit like me looking at signs in China. Now, you see a sign in a different country, and you look at this, and God's given me a creative brain that sees things often not in the normal way, and I just have a field day with this. I'm like, wow, you know? Um, I mean, this could be many things. It would be fun to have a caption contest to see what they think this is. But then what's helpful is they put some words for you. So there are words there clearly telling you what the picture is. And for some of you, this is Bible study. You say, okay, uh, someone's getting a message out of this. They're very Im- impacted by it. There's words there. Um, it's just not helping very much. Um, I don't know how many of you got this, but in this particular sign, they actually gave uh, some, some English words. So no spitting is what that is, you know. You're, I, it looks like a leaky water faucet. It could, it could be a lot of things, really, you know. No bouncing three racquetballs at a time. I mean, there's all kinds of things that you could you could get from that picture. But once it's spelled out in plain English, you're like, oh, that's what it means. So how do we move Scripture from a place of a Chinese sign with words, and you're like, it's still just Greek to me. It's I don't understand it, to no spitting. So we go, oh, I, I can digest that. That's helpful to me. I can get that. We're gonna, we've already talked about some of this, that modern translations and the study of others standing on their shoulders is quite helpful. Because rather than me personally needing to travel to, uh, you know, to the Holy Land, let's say, and gain knowledge about what was ancient Near Eastern culture like so that I can get my mind around what was being talked about, I can lean on the shoulders of other people who've done that, studied that, are much brighter than me, and have put that together. Now it still takes me going and discovering that and, and researching it, um, but but we're able to, to glean from, from other people to be sure. Interpretation's an interesting thing. I don't know if you've heard this, but um, but some people will say this you know, don't tell me this that, that you you guys believe in the Bible. Because the Bible is is just it's just it's just open to interpretation. One person's interpretation is as good as the next person's uh, interpretation. So for you to say that you just believe in the Bible, that doesn't help me out. To some degree, that's a, that's a true statement. Just because someone says, we preach the Bible at our church, doesn't necessarily mean we're wearing the same jersey and we're, and we're, we're on the same team. Some of you have been to churches. I've been to funeral services and church services where I I didn't go and look at every page, but I'm pretty sure they had this same Bible, these same words. And yet, what was being taught, and the spirit of what was being taught, um, really, it put a fire in my soul. It made me want to throw up, stand up, shout, um, because they were giving hope, for instance, at this one funeral, reading from some of the same passages that I know, and they were giving hope to those who have no hope according to this same book. They were giving hope in the fact that, well, this person basically led a good life. Hard to do a funeral sometimes because if that's your thing, you're supposed to say nice things about people at a funeral, right? I mean, that's what you do. Um, I stood right here on this stage about two years ago, and we did the funeral of someone who, who was previously homeless, and God brought him to this church, and through him, brought about 10 other people or more to this church. I still see some of them, talk to them by name. And um, he was he was befriended in an inhospitable world. He was he was he was he was hospitalized. I guess you could say he he was brought into this community, and it was a beautiful beautiful work of God. And I got to preach his funeral, and I stood up here, and there was about twenty plus homeless people right over here. Some of you were here that night, and um, and here's how I started the service. I started off by saying, Richard, Richard was a liar and a scoundrel, and a flake, and a thief, and an addict. And by the time I got to the word addict, there were audible people going, No! I mean, they, were, they were saying it back to me. And then I said, at the end of this list, I said, No, those are all Richard's own words about himself. And then I went on to say this. Richard was a son and a brother, family members here who had been estranged from him we're, we're here just kind of blown away with this. And then I began to just list his spiritual credentials. He was he was beloved of the Father. He was a gracious person. And I just listed all these things that God took a scoundrel and made him a son. And it was just an, an awesome thing. And I actually thought, I think I'm on to something where you start a funeral saying bad things about people. I'm I'm gonna if I was smart I'd write a book and get some money out of that. But Here's the, here's the reality of that. It was beautiful because it was his own words about himself. And we talked actually about his funeral and what he wanted said and some of these ideas. And, and, it, was, and it was really kind of a kind of a neat thing. The Bible uh, offers hope, and I was able to give a clear message that night about the hope that is in Jesus Christ. How you can know that you're in the family of God. First John lists about seven ways. To know, to know that you know that you're in the family of God. And I was able to preach that boldly because I've understood some things about interpreting God's word. And that it isn't just one person's interpretation versus another. And well, who can really know? And that's what I want to show you this morning is some of those principles. You'll hear a lot of competing thoughts that all quote the Bible. How can you tell the difference between one person? And another, here's the answer. Ready, quite simply, you grow up. You grow up now. That's a lifelong answer, but it's the truth. Yesterday, or two, uh, two days ago, I was in a store called Bye Bye Baby, and we've ever since this store has come in, we've just thought, What a great name! and that's the quintessential, you know, American consumerism name. So, we're in this store, and my wife and I were amused at the different products that they now have. That even since we last had uh, infants. Uh, We did not have. Uh, We were in there for a specific purpose. We have two times the fun as most families in this household. I'm talking about diapers, okay? The day before, we bought like a thousand diapers at Costco, and we're just, we're loading our kids down with giant boxes, and we're loading them out to our car. We've got a shed full of diapers, so if you need to borrow a few, come to our house. Um, the day, the next day, we're there, and we say we really need a second diaper pad, okay? Now, as I'm shopping for diaper pads at Bye Bye Baby, um, there's a there's a whole wall of them. There's eight feet of diaper bag, uh, diaper pads, diaper bags was like two aisles. Okay, diaper pads. For those of you without kids, high school boys you're like what is it? It's a little pad that you set your child on while they while they do it. Now here's what just amused me so much. I have seven children now. Diaper pads range from forty two ninety nine down to six bucks. Which one did I buy? Six bucks. I mean, this is cardboard with a little bit of vinyl over it. That's all it is. Here's the one that got me the most. There's one that's memory foam. Now, now here's why I know that's a scam. I've changed so many diapers. Here's what I know. You want to forget what's happening on this pad. I, you do not want to remember. And yet when you have your first kid, here's what happens. New parents, let me just, you'll go through this. It's okay. You're like, nothing but the best for my child. I mean, his spine could get messed up from this diaper pad. I've got to get the memory foam. And so you drop the $42.99 on the memory foam, and after about two weeks, you're like, Ew, I don't even know how you clean that. It's, you know, it's bad news. So in, in parenting, what we do is we realize by child number seven, there are scams out there. There are things you don't fall for. Not every diaper pad is the same. Here's a second one. For those of you who can't relate to that, I have older brothers. Two older brothers were with me. We we're driving through Las Vegas one day. Uh, not normal for our family. We don't vacation in Vegas, but we were driving through there. Reno, sorry. Uh, we're driving through Reno, and, um, and my two older brothers all of a sudden said, Hey, Dave, turn around. And I turned around, and they were offering me gum. Now, gum, still to this day, it's not quite as big of a draw, but it was a huge draw to me as a kid. It was one of my favorite things. My two older brothers were offering me gum. I jumped at the chance. I said, awesome. I took the gum, and I popped it in my mouth. And we're driving through. It's about 101 degrees in Reno that day. And all of a sudden, I started to get a, a pretty kind of a sick stomach. I don't get carsick. I've never gotten carsick before. Next thing you know, I say, Dad, I think I'm going to throw up. We're in a sweet 1977 van. It's a few years old. My dad pulls to the corner in Reno and says, get out. Again, not normal for my dad. He's never kicked me out of the car before. I get out, and I'm throwing up in the gutter of in in Reno. It was trick gum. It was the magic trick gum that's like pepper gum or something. And so what happened is this. Never again. If you offer me gum to this day, I'm going to look at you with suspicion. I am. I'm not going to think that you think my breasts bad or that you just want to help me out. I'm going to look at you, what, what kind of gum is this? I've got a little portable test that I test all. No, I'm kidding. Here's what happened. I grew up, right? through experience and just through knowledge, it it dawns on me in the future if my two older brothers are ever offering me something good and smiling, that's a bad thing. (laughs) Run! Run! Don't don't accept it. Some of you have clicked on the banner that flashes over here and says, Win a free iPod. You don't do that anymore, do you? You just don't. Because you've learned. Here's what's happening. You are growing up. And as you grow up, you begin to cross-reference past experience and other knowledge that you have, and you sync it up. And your brain's just doing some incredible things. You're looking at the context, right? What is the context of this? What's happening right now? I'm in a store, a giant store. The store's called Buy, Buy Baby, B-U-Y, Buy Stuff. And here's a forty-two ninety-nine memory foam diaper pad. Context, right? You consider the source. When someone is telling you something, you're considering the source of that. Who's behind the flashing banner on my webpage? Gee, last time, that led to a virus and all kinds of nightmares. I think I'll not do it this time. You're growing up, and that's exactly what happens with Scripture. Just look. You can write this down and, and check it out later. But 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 3-4 says this. But I fear that somehow your pure and undivided devotion to Christ will be corrupted, just as Eve was deceived by the cunning ways of the serpent. You happily put up with whatever anyone tells you, even if they preach a different Jesus than the one we preach, or a different kind of spirit than the one you received, or a different kind of gospel than the one you believed. These people are false, uh, false apostles. They are deceitful workers, who disguise themselves as apostles of Christ. Now, how do you know if you're the one in this text who's happily just putting up with whatever someone tells you? Some of your spiritual stories are such that you became a Christian, maybe in a godly church that loved you and wasn't doing it for sordid gain, but out of pure devotion. And yet, what happened was you were so open that you just grabbed from anyone who opened their Bible and started talking at you and assumed it was correct. And much like clicking on different banners, you you kind of made a mess of things, and and God has had to heal and, and grow you up in some of those areas. Maybe to this day, you're still falling for trick gum all the time. And you go, Lord, how do I get out of that? How do I not be the one who happily follows a blind guide into a ditch? Again, I want to just give you some tools this morning that I think will help. Here's what's interesting about false teachers. They don't have fangs. They don't look scary and mean. Instead, they're often winsome, really nice people, most often very educated and able to convince with their mouth. The reason people follow a false prophet or a false apostle is is that they have the ability to deceive and swerve and swerve people's hearts and minds. Jesus called out false teachers. He says, "You teachers make these disciples of yours twice the Son of hell that you are." <laughs> he wasn't exactly polite with them. You know why? He saw them as the enemy. He saw them as destructing your baby. So someone who's going to come in and take one of your kids, how do you feel toward that person? You don't politely sit down and reason with them. Jesus called them out for what they were. He exposed them. He sounded the alarm. Paul, it says um, in Titus that he, he rebuked them sharply, called them factious, that they were deceived, that they're deceiving others, and the instruction was to silence them, to shut them up, because they're leading whole families astray. So the question before us is, how, how do we know who those people are? What happens if on this stage, what happens in our community, that starts to happen? And any one of us is, guilty, is able to be guilty of any sin, right? So, so, so I can get off track. Someone else who's up here can get off track. How does the community of God guard against that, and how do we know that unless we're in the word, unless we have our, our knowledge, unless we're pursuing Christ, and it's pure and undivided? Are you capable of identifying harm? Let me give you a couple of pictures uh, and and some warnings that came with it. A five-inch fishing lure with three steel hooks cautions users that it's harmful if swallowed. Another warning label found on a 12-inch high storage rack for CDs reminds purchasers, do not use as a ladder. The sled label uh, warning on, on this one was very adamant. Beware, sled may develop high speed under certain snow conditions. And lastly, here's a, here's a warning found on the bottle of drain cleaner. If you do not understand or cannot read all directions, cautions, and warnings, do not use this product. Thanks. <laughs> now, I put up four that are, that are really obvious and easy to spot, right? You look at those, and they're silly, Right, They're kind of dumb warnings. Here's why. The children are all dismissed from us. It's not so obvious to a child. A child might look at this and not understand these things and not think these things through. What happened? You grew up. You've grown up, and so you've left those childish things behind. You understand. These are dumb warnings. We understand this very, very well. So think about that. Just apply that common sense reasoning that goes on all the time in your life to spiritual matters. How, unless you're testing and using and engaged with the story, are you able to discern, gee, is this fall into a biblical worldview? Is this how God really put the universe together? Or am I being deceived? There's lots of competing ideas. One person says that it's okay. One person says it's not. One person says you can never, ever know. Which one's correct? And let me just say so that we don't think that somehow we're going to arrive and then guard the corner of truth. This is a lifelong process, but you can make progress. It's not just that we're ever seeking but never being able to understand. The Bible makes it clear. You're to grow up in your knowledge. So let's grow up. The Bible is open to interpretation but it's restricted to the rules of interpretation. Here's what I mean by that. Do not murder does not mean murder anyone you feel like it. Okay? Now I throw that one out and that's kind of a freebie. You guys go, "Yeah, we get that." But 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 if it's just open to any interpretation at all, then we don't just get that. We live in a culture that says, you know, there is no absolute truth, which of course is a truth statement itself and begins to be, you know, cyclical in its reasoning. But But that's a very common thing, that you can't say those sorts of things. So maybe do not murder is going to open up one day in the not-so-distant future to murder anyone you want. That's clearly what the Bible teaches. It's it's, it's, It's open to interpretation, but there are rules to interpretation. People don't tend to burn pliable Bibles. Here's what I mean by that. Interpretation issues, certain interpretation issues, cause rioting, beheading, jailing, mistreatment, cultural uh, efforts to wipe out and snuff out the Bible. We've seen this throughout all of history. Go do your research. It's happening today. I'll tell you what doesn't get condemned and is not fearful to any government is a pliable Bible. What I mean by that is this. It's just a matter of interpretation. What gets the Bible in hot water, so to speak, what gets people riled up, is the hard truth claims that the Bible makes. One of the truth claims that the Bible makes is that Jesus is the only way to God. That will get an interesting conversation going with you. If you leave it open to interpretation and just it's whatever you think and and this and that, then it won't. It won't lead to any persecution or struggle. I'll tell you, th- these are just different through different ages, but uh, even in my lifetime, I've seen the different topics. You want to know what's hot right now, go to Berean and just look at the bookshelves and kind of see what's being written about. And we just get on these different kicks kind of, you know, in Christendom, and we're going back and forth. Here's, here's one that's hot right now. Very few people will argue about a blissful, eternal reward for for those who are righteous. Very few people argue about the existence of that. In fact, various uh, research groups say that, you know, something like 90-some percent, eight, high 80s percent absolutely believe in heaven. And they might define it a little bit different, but very few people are arguing about that. You know what they're arguing about right now? What is it? Hell. They're arguing about the fact that there would be punishment that's eternal, that's forever, that's actually real. That's a hot topic right now. There's a couple of different authors that are, that are out there, and I'll just highlight two of them. One, one book that stirred up this controversy, it's not a new controversy, by the way. Some of you would laugh because it's like, yeah, this one was you know, really big in the early 90s. It's just kind of coming back again. But one author that's out there because he's got a giant sway and a giant influence is Rob Bell. Some of you have heard the name Rob Bell before. And Rob Bell has written and said some things in the past that I found really troubling, and I thought, wow, he's got a really great way of telling stories. He shared some things that have actually helped me in my walk, and then he says that, and I go, that's contrary. That's a different Jesus. That's a different story that's being written. Another guy by the name of Francis Chan, I read this book. I recommend this book. It's called Erasing Hell. Part of why I like Francis Chan is as he writes this, he writes it from a very sober Um, compassionate position, not just getting to the theological line and saying all others are wrong, they don't fit in this box, but rather saying what we're talking about is insanely sobering, that there is a wrath coming that is going to punish sin, yours and the sin of the whole world. I'll tell you the effect it had on me as I walked away from, from reading Erasing Hell is an urgent sense that the whole world needs to be warned. And it it left me with, with not a prideful sense that, wow, I'm glad I'm on the good team going to heaven. Bummer for those who are going to hell. I just call out two names because Jesus called out names. You show me if I'm wrong. Let's talk about it. Let's come back to the scriptures. Let's dialogue about that. But those in my mind are two competing ideas, both using scripture and coming to different conclusions about it. There's so many others that that I could call out. I just call out that itself. A.W. Tozer says this, it will require a determined heart and more than a little courage to wrench ourselves loose from the grip of our times and return to biblical ways. That's what we're about to do. In the few minutes I have left, I want to give you a couple of principles. You can write them down for later use. If you say this, well, I take the Bible literally. So many people pull that out as the card, like, oh, well, you're that guy. That doesn't really mean anything, though. That, once again, you could travel the country and and go to churches that take the Bible literally and find yourself in all kinds of different theological nooks and crannies and say, I don't think that even holds to the orthodox creeds of the apostles and some of these other things, but, but they take the Bible literally. Here's why it's a challenge to say that. Let me just give you a crash course on, uh, on some Old Testament things. Uh, very quickly, I can't remember if I put this in your notes or not, but three kinds of things... Uh, Classes of uh, literature, I guess, that you'll find in the Old Testament. Um, One is narrative. The first one's narrative. And it's just a retelling of historical events that gives meaning or offers direction to people in the present. I just got through Genesis. Genesis is largely narrative. There's a lot of storytelling going on. There are main characters. There's conflict. There's resolution. And there's God's story being woven throughout it. Another kind, the second one that you'll see there, is law. Law is a set of legal regulations addressing moral, civil, and religious duties. They exist to maintain order, avoid harm, and promote well-being. Much like a law book of our day, there are texts in Scripture where you go, wow, this feels like I'm studying for the bar exam, and it just seems really boring and dry. But there are laws in there. What's fascinating is as you soak in this, year after year, you're just soaking in it. Some of you have been putting the Bible to the test for 23 years. I love being around you. I love walking around you and just gleaning what you glean. Because what you see is in year 17, you're like, wow, God put that in the law a long time ago to prevent this. Here we are arguing about this, that, and the other thing. Man, it's right in there. I used to breeze by that, having to put me to sleep. It's the wisdom of God. It's the supernatural inspiration of God that here it is, been tucked in my Bible the whole time. Wow, that law is actually coming, coming alive to me. Finally, poetry. Poetry is highly stylized and emotive literature. Most are familiar with various types of poetry, but unfamiliar with biblical poetry. And so what happens is, this is again where we need to contextualize and think, what does this mean to to a, a reader that would be reading it in that context? Very quick crash course. One of the challenges of that, of course, is that different ages and different times and different cultures have different class. I just use the word narrative. Law and poetry, no one in here was going, I don't understand those. We all get those, right? Those are easy. We grab onto those. But I promise you that in Paraguay today, they have kind of some different categories. And I promise you that 150 years ago, the nuances to what category and what fit in where was a little bit different. We don't need to get hung up on that. We just need to acknowledge that the 66 books that comprise the Bible that really is a cohesive contains different kinds of literature. And so to say I take the Bible literally, someone could walk up to you and say, No, you don't. And they could very easily, if they knew their Bible, point to a few passages that says, You don't do this. And if you don't have an understanding that says, Well, you know, here's, here's what that is, and, and, and a way of handling that and dealing with that, it can cause confusion in your life and go, huh, maybe I don't take the Bible literally. Maybe it is just all, and it kind of just washes, washes out some things. Very quickly. Here's some general interpretation principles. By the way, these are not limited to the Bible. So just think. Black pepper trick gum. Diaper pad. Flashing web banner. Okay? Think about this. As you are making assessments and choices and decisions in life about how to go, you are using these things. We just don't ever stop and think about it. We don't ever just stop and talk about it. Number one is context. Context is to interpret a passage in light of its context. It literally means with the text. Chili con carne. Con, C-O-N means with. Chili with meat, right? With the text. So context, as you're reading it, read it in context. We talk about context all the time in here. People love to lift something out of, out of context and slap it somewhere. And it's just comical sometimes if you've read that chapter lately, you're like, oh, it's so not what that was saying. That, that, that actually leads you to a totally different happy place when that was right in the middle of a woe section that's not very happy at all. If people knew what that was leading to, it wouldn't sell so well. I mean, if they just understood that. And yet that's really pithy. That says a lot. I'm going to lift that out and build my life verse around it. You can turn into a snake charmer if you do that. I mean, certain portions of Scripture, you can do all kinds of things. Context, um, just the idea of near and far context. Near near context would be reading. You read something. You come across You say, what does that even mean? Go reread the, the, the couple paragraphs before and the couple paragraphs after. That's just near context. What is it talking about? What's the theme again? I know you guys because I'm the same way. You're reading through and you're like, huh? because right, your brain can do a lot of different things. I was already thinking about Taco Bell or something different over here. I'm like, re-engage. get back. What what is this saying? Oh, okay. Well, that helps to interpret the text because it's context. But far context would just be in light of um, of the whole section, the whole chapter. What what is what is what is being built up right now, and and how is it and how is it phrased and talked about? Use the word uh, in a sentence. So so. Um, Again, uh, context directs meaning, or it can actually change if context is left out. So, so to say something, sometimes we have this phrase or idea that will say something. Your kids will say, what does this mean? Your brain immediately goes to what you know, and that is a repertoire of meaning. So you say, use it in a sentence, right? That's the same idea. So just use it in a sentence helps you begin to frame what, what, what's being communicated here. Um. Isaiah 58.11, this is just a quick example where uh, it says that God will guide you continually. And so you could take that and build my life and say, God's going to continually guide me. Well, how how do you know that you should walk away from your job and go pursue professional football? You're, You're 42 and you're super overweight. I know the guys look big as linemen, but they're all muscle, buddy. Well, God's going to guide me continually. Well if you look at that passage for instance there are two preceding if clauses if that 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 if that da, 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 da god will continually guide you you see how context begins to shape what that looks like here's a second one words interpret according to the correct meaning of the words what does the word trunk mean it could mean a lot of things right a case the nose of an elephant the space in a car if you're from America. In England, they call it something different. I forget. Thank you. The point, I love it. love the English. Um, how about light? Someone comes to you and says, what does light mean? Well, it could mean not heavy, right? Or it could mean the opposite of dark. So, so again, words. We just take this for granted. I got a phone call the other day from a guy named Zune. Once you meet a guy named Zune, you never forget him. It's just one of those names. And uh, he's back in, <clears throat> in America, and we got talking, and um, many times with Zoom, this guy knows about three or four different languages, I picked him up from the airport, and he's, he's on multiple cell phones checking in with multiple continents to let people know he's okay. I'm like, man, I'm glad I know you now, because you're going to be something. Um, When you interact with international students, all the time you realize what we just take for granted. We understand and know words and what they mean in our context, and and we understand the difference. And if you're trying to study and learn that outside of the culture, it's a challenge. You have to to rigorously go through and funnel through what, what is being talked about. And again, as words are put together, the meaning starts to take shape. We don't live in the ancient Near East, right? We don't live in ancient times of the patriarchs. So to grab words, we we have to do study uh, to go and get there. Words also change meaning over time. Many times in a dictionary, you'll see such and such, and then it says an archaic meaning is this. And it's kind of interesting for those of you who are word geeks, you go, man, that's kind of cool how that morphed into our modern colloquialism. I see how that is. But boy, that really changed over over time. Different words um, have the same or similar meanings. So someone could come, and again, think of, put yourself in an international student's position. Someone comes and says, how are you doing? And they say, I'm fine. Well, he just learned that, you know, to speak of a girl who's beautiful, you call her fine. So he's like, wow, you're kind of bragging. That's, that's a weird thing to say. Or someone says, I'm good. And he's like theologically astute. And he's like, no, you're a born sinner saved by grace. I mean, it could mean a lot of different things. If I say, hey, I'm fine. You guys say, cool, that's, that's good. Or I say, I'm good. You're like, cool, we get that. Everyone in this room gets that completely, but those outside our culture wouldn't get that. Um, same words can have different meanings. So the, I mean, again, this gets really complex when you stop and just think about it. These are helpful for interpreting your Bible. That's why I told you last week, a basic library of a theologian and you're all theologians. You're all studying God. You're sitting in church this morning. A basic library of a theologian is just a good word study thing. Just starting to look this up yourself. What's interesting is when you see multiple translations, when you see three translations that you've trusted and you've gone and done other research that, that, that makes them, yeah, I, I trust these, why do, they, why do they translate this section or this word differently? That's where you zero in and start to do word studies and look and go, oh, okay, I see why there's some confusion or why there's some little differences of opinion there. Some tools for this are dictionaries, concordances, um, and, of course, uh, word study kind, kinds of things. Number three is grammar. Interpret according to the grammar of the sentence. So the form of the words and relationship of the words should be considered carefully. This is one of the hardest things for me when I interact with my family in Mexico is all the tenses and this and that. I can get the basic verb down, but I'll constantly butcher things. So I'm constantly saying something a little bit different. It's beautiful to be around international students and just hear the things that they're coming up with and how they're saying it because they're trying, they're close but, boy, that sure made a big difference when you inverted those two words or when you used that tense and not that tense. So the grammar of a language is very, is very important as you look at that. Once again, as we go back to Greek now and Hebrew and some Aramaic, really, really challenging for most of us, isn't it, to go and, and understand that and study that. Again, it's, it's required study for, for a lot of people, but for most of us it's not. It's just, it's just there, and we, we're kind of lost in it. This is why A.W. Tozer, it's going to take some courage and some real work to get at this stuff, but it's worth it. Um, here's what grammar does, too. It provides clues to possible meanings if two possibilities are present. So a text of scriptures before you say, wow, on the one hand, someone says this. On the other hand, someone says this. Who's right? Getting at the grammar and the words begins to let you form an opinion of who's right in that situation. Because now because now you're starting to see how they relate. You go, yeah, I could see that there's three different ways to take this. But boy, the, the clues in this earlier part of the book, the overall style of how this guy normally writes. And you get to feel like you start to know people. I feel like I know John somewhat. I feel like I know this guy Paul in some ways because I've spent so much of my life reading him. Like being with a friend, you can almost predict how they're going to respond to certain things. Uh, understanding the elements of grammar, verbs, and tenses. I notice some of you are like, yuck. I mean, I I went through school and I paid good money, but I don't want to think about this anymore. I'm not saying that you have to go and parse verbs and do this and that. Again, there's people that do that because they like it, okay? But what I'm saying is that don't just let it be a cop-out and go, well, that person interprets that way. My pastor says this. I don't know. I'm going to trust the pastor because I I know him. He's kind of a nice guy. Again, that's how people end up drinking Kool-Aid in a different country. Because they're led astray. It was a really compelling guy, and he said that this Kool-Aid is in the Bible or something. And they go, okay, drink it. I know that's extreme. Finally, uh, or not finally, fourth is the author. Interpret according to the author's purpose and plan. Sometimes it's clearly stated. Write down First John 5.13. Just write it down. You can look it up later. John liked to state why he wrote a book when we were studying through the book of John, remember he states that at the end, the gospel of John, he says it in John 20, 31. I write this so that you, be, that, that you might believe and that by believing you may have eternal life. That's why I'm writing the gospel. Most books of the Bible don't spell it out like John. So again, you have to do some research. Read the intro in your study Bible. There's some amazing resources in your hand today. Read them. And again, it just puts a beautiful spin on it. As you're reading through that that book, you you begin to get a sense of things. It's part of the hunt. Remember we talked about this? God clearly has hidden himself in many ways. So he's engaging with us in relationship as he says, here, I'm going to parcel out this part of it. Now keep coming, there's more. And again, there's, there's more rooms and fields to go and discover as you pursue it. There are some personal references in a book that will say who wrote the book and, and, and context. The scriptures are amazingly filled with dates and historical times and places. This is going to lean into our apologetic series where we're headed. But the book of Esther, we read that last night. Rob, we too were sitting around, gathered around the fire that wasn't going, but the fireplace. And uh, we are just reading the book of, uh, of Esther. And there it is, times and places and specific things that are verifiable or not. And it's really profound to see that written down. Finally, looking at the structure of a book. Remember with Ephesians, there was here's what you should believe, here's what a Christian thinks, and then here's what a Christian does, behavior. So if you're in chapters 1 through 3, what you kind of see is very typical of Paul. He'll write theology first. It's so important for you to believe that you're an adopted, beloved son, blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now that you know that, now that you know who you are, here's what you do. Here's how you live as as a person in my family. You invert those two, it becomes really problematic. I've got to do a bunch of this stuff. Oh, I guess I've got to believe this stuff too. Know what the author's trying to communicate. If you're in the belief section, get your brain around this. This is theology. These are the things I ought to think as a Christian. When you're in a behavior section, these are specific behaviors that I should be thinking on. You ought to be able to have in your mind, man, four through six chapters of Ephesians, those are behavior things. You feel like you're stagnant on where to grow next in your righteousness? What should I be doing, Lord? Go read Ephesians 4 to 6. Talk about family. It'll talk about your job. It'll cover the whole gamut of stuff. So, again, just understanding where it is. Finally, there's repeated phrases that act as kind of a drumbeat. Genesis. I just got done with Genesis. So, again, these are the generations. These are the generations. These are the generations. Here's what's happening. There is a story of God being woven through Genesis, and what he's saying is this. My story, my redemptive story is taking place through a bloodline that's going to point to a Messiah one day. It's unbelievable to strengthen your faith as you look for what one author calls the scarlet thread of redemption. Starts in Genesis, it ends in Revelation, and it's so profound to see Jesus Christ and the redemptive story woven through the whole of Scripture. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I don't come up with this stuff. I read other smart people, and then I verify it. I look at it and go, wow, there it is again. I learned to think that way a long time ago, and it's helped me really, really well. Finally is this. Interpret the Scriptures by the Scriptures. Oftentimes on a Sunday morning, here's what you're hearing. You're hearing a text that we're going through. Most often we go through a book of the Bible here. As we go through that text, what I most often quote from here is other scripture verses. Now, as I quote those other scriptures, I have to be careful, and you ought to be wary as a listener. Is that even, does that even apply to this? Because, again, you can build a lot of things. You can just do word searches and, and, and start to, to steer it a certain way. But I most often quote scripture from here because I'm trying to, to follow this principle of allowing the scriptures to teach the scriptures. So when the scriptures come across and say something, you say, what else does the, does the Bible speak to this issue? is a great place to start. The Bible is producing a worldwide, centuries-old harvest. Think back to uh, 2 Thessalonians 3 that I started with, that that we're learning how to pray. Pray that the Word of God would would go ahead speedily, that that it would rapidly spread and be honored among other people just as it happened here with you. Let me tell you about an email that I got on Tuesday. This is from one of our missionaries, Steve and Ida Irwin, who serve with New Tribes Missions, about translating things. When you place a dollar in the offering, part of your money is going to Steve and Ida. I would encourage you, get on their their mailing list. Steve is around here once in a great while. But what a cool thing to keep tabs on them. A few weeks ago, a few months ago, maybe now, I don't know, we're praying for a stolen Cessna plane from them. Because not all believe, and and God's word's going to guard and establish them, guarding them from wicked men. But some wicked men came and stole a plane. I don't know if you've ever had a car stolen, but multiply that by a bunch. They're missionaries, okay? So we're praying for this lost plane, a stolen plane. Kind of cool. Tuesday, here's what we get. Get an email, that says, Pray the Wagi people hear the gospel story today. Let me just read you a couple of excerpts and think about the fact, hold your Bible in your hand as I read this, or your smartphone, however you get your Bible, and think about the Word of God. Thy Word that's a lamp to our feet has been doing this for centuries, and in context, way different than here. Here's Steve writing, The following is a letter that we just received asking for prayer as the international church planning team from Northern Ireland, Germany, and the USA is presenting the end of the talk of the story of redemption today to the North Wagi people of Papua New Guinea for the first time in their history. Powerful. Here's what they write. We can hardly believe it, but this coming week we'll be finishing off the chronological teaching from creation to Christ. It was amazing for us to see God working in the lives and hearts of the people here in North Wagi through key stories from the Bible. We taught about who God is, how sin entered the world, death as the punishment of sin, and God's way to get right with him. That's the gospel. Does that all sound familiar? We know that. We say, yes, that's right on. Most of the people here think that by doing good things, God will be happy with them, and so they will be accepted into heaven. Many people have said over and over again that they never knew that they are born sinners and that there is nothing they can do that makes them acceptable to God, but only by believing God's word and accepting his way, which, of course, he provided through the perfect sacrifice for our sin, Jesus This is the only way. Your heart says, Amen. Man, that sounds familiar. People who've never understood that they were born sinners. People who thought that by doing good things, they'll be accepted into heaven. It just sounds so familiar. People in North Wagyi part of Papua New Guinea, and people born and raised in the Silicon Valley. Last week, three men came to Andrew, part of the team, after the lesson, with a lot of questions. There's a picture of this and at family dinner on Wednesday, we're just pointing out these different people and showing pictures on the smartphone. This guy, James, said this, you can't stop. You have to continue telling us more. That was when they paused before telling the rest of the story on that last day. Don't you love it how it's just been building? John, a young man whose wife died on the second day of our teaching program. They actually paused the teaching for a while to minister to this guy. Young guy whose wife died says this, this message shoots right into my insides. He was amazed at the power of the message and we we're able to confirm that God's word is powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword. The word of God is supposed to shoot his insides because it is alive and can bring life for him too. He said that he has never heard this message before. Then there's David. David is Andrew's translation helper's son. A very quiet man. He has deep, many deep and sincere questions. During this time, we could see the truth starting to sink in that his good works aren't enough and that he's a sinner and that Jesus is the only way to get to God. Please pray for these young men. We are excited to see how they are taking it all in. Pray for their salvation. Pray that many will understand that Jesus is the perfect lamb who takes away sin and that he is the only way. The enemy does not want these things does not want these people to hear and believe. So you can be an active part in reaching them by praying on the other side of the globe. You can be an active part in the work going on in the jungles of Papua New Guinea in prayer. Same Bible you're holding, same message that's producing a harvest here is producing a harvest there. I want to invite the band up. We're going to pray and close in song. Holy Spirit, we invite you to give us a fresh picture, a fresh road map. Give us the creativity and the vision to see beyond these four walls. God, to dream about, about how we are participating As 2 Thessalonians 3 reveals that we're to pray that your word would be advancing, that it would be honored and would be bearing fruit. God, we trust that you're doing the work with this team from Northern Ireland, Germany, and the USA, ministering to people in Papua New Guinea, that you would guard and establish them in the truth. I pray that for my listeners here this morning. God, that we would trust you to do the guarding and the establishing and that here in San Jose, your word would speed ahead. God, that it would be honored and lifted up in our lives and that as you're lifted up, God, that you would draw people to yourself. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.